0: This podcast is sponsored by MSA Globe. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop advanced safety equipment with performance and protection in perfect balance. Like Globe Athletics, the latest innovation in turnout gear. Developed as Athletic Gear for Firefighters, Athletics uses unique stretch fabrics that provide body contoured fit for unprecedented range of motion and flexibility. It's lighter weight, less bulky, and provides the protection you need from your Globe turnout gear. Get The full story at slash globe.
1: Hello and welcome to today on Firehouse. I'm Peter Matthews, editor in chief for Firehouse, and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, just a reminder, we recently got onto iTunes after a long wait, so you can uh, stream the podcast or download the podcast from iTunes, as well as Google Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and any of the other locations where you access podcasts from. So, we would appreciate you subscribing through the platform that you uh, you choose. Uh, Today, I'm excited to have uh, Rich Gassiway join us. Uh, Rich and I actually, we go back uh, a long ways. Uh, Rich used to host the podcast here on on Firehouse, uh, the Leader's Toolbox podcast back in the good old days, and uh, excited to have Rich back on to talk about what he's got going on. And and Before we get into talking with Rich, I just want to give a a big thank you to the folks at MSA and Globe uh, for their continued support of this podcast. We really appreciate it. We're almost a year into the podcast. And through MSA and Globe's uh, tremendous support, we've been able to provide interviews and discussions with a lot of folks in the fire service and, and looking forward to continuing those this year. So thank you to the folks at MSA and Globe. So Rich, welcome. Uh, it's not the leader's toolbox, right? Kind of role reversal here, now I'm asking <laughs> you the question. Um, so so welcome and, and, and uh, thank you for joining us. And, and for the folks who aren't aware of who you are, those, those unfortunate few, um, can you tell us a little bit about your background, um, in the fire service and, and, and your, uh, time instructing?
2: Sure. Thank, thanks for having me, Pete. And thanks for that jog down memory lane of the leader's toolbox, uh, show oh. that, uh, it seems like forever ago, but man, it was so much fun to talk about the challenges of leadership and the, and the questions that the, uh, that the viewers would submit and, and taking them on and offering them some, some advice that was, uh. That was that, that, that will go down is probably one of the areas that I, at least in the aspects of leadership that I'm most proud of for having to contributed to the, to the fire service. Um, so thanks to firehouse for, for that opportunity. <clears throat> where, where am I at now in life? Uh, after 33 years in the fire service, I retired and I spent the last 10 years uh, pre COVID, um, teaching firefighters about situational awareness and high risk decision making. And I guess I should pause and say five years before I retired, I went back to school and I got my PhD and did my research in cognitive Mm -hmm. neuroscience, trying to understand what happens when people make high risk, high consequence, time compressed decisions. And from that, uh, create, I've written six books and created a program that, uh, Again, pre-COVID, I had the opportunity to present about a hundred times a year for almost wow. ten years, and uh, and then COVID kind of put the the kibosh on on that. Um, but <clears throat> I, ha- I have, uh, I like you, I have a podcast show that I've uh, dedicated mostly to giving those who've had near miss events <clears throat> a microphone to tell their story, what happened, and the lessons that they learned from it. And, and those have been some pretty powerful, um, mm, narratives that, uh, geez, some, 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 some of them just absolutely leave me speechless about what happened, what they were thinking. <clears throat> um, some of, some of them worked right beside people who died and they were the survivors. And, uh, oh, so that, that show has, um, Holy cow uh i'm i'm guessing i'm heading toward 400 episodes of that uh and then the and the blog has um hundreds of articles that responders can uh read for free on the topics of situational awareness and high risk decision making so that's kind of what i've dedicated my life to now since uh since i retired which again is uh been about 12 years so Um, but the pandemic, I, you know, kind of grounded my travels. So now, now it's, uh, you know, (laughs) thing, uh, just things that I can do for my home office.
1: Okay. So what's the name of the podcast uh, for the folks who are listening that that may not be uh,
2: following at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so I, I used to call it a podcast, but then I, um, put it onto YouTube. So, you know, the term podcast doesn't transition well for video Watchers, So now I just call it The Show. It's the Situation Awareness Matters Show. And if somebody wants to subscribe to all all the places that you had previously mentioned, they can get SA Matters Radio on podcast players and SA Matters TV on YouTube. And they can subscribe for free and consume that (laughs) content for free.
1: And if there's uh, one show that they need to watch, uh, kind of an intro to to really get them drawn in. I mean, and it, I mean, we're talking about life and death in, in in this case, and and I mean, what is what is one show that you would recommend
2: everybody oh, uh, takes yeah. the time to to view? Yeah, you, you caught me off guard on that. So what we'll do is I'll I'll bring up my podcast player and scroll down through and give you give them a a really good near near miss interview to to watch we we go I, I i wasn't expecting that question there's so many of them um you know and you think i'd just pick a recent one but there's you know there are a few that that really um stand out as as like the most yeah so here i can i'll, I'll try, i'm so excited now I'll i'm sorry to, about uh, that yeah <laughs> I- <laughs> right yeah look what you did to me you got me all got me all all. uh Oh, excited here. Um, I will um, try to find the one that, uh, uh, I'll, I'll just scroll the library. There's there's one with Jason Corthell. Actually, there's two with Jason Corthell from Texas. And the first one was Jason's near miss event uh, where he talks about, you know, what happened and what was going through his mind and how he thought he was going to die. And, you know, he was <clears throat> trying to find his... You know, peace that he was gonna leave this world. I mean, he he was in a bad, bad, bad spot, caught underneath a collapse. Um, So I did that show with him, which has actually truly been amazing and one of the most popular. But then Jason uh, came back to me, reached out to me, and said, "Uh, "I've got another story to tell." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, you had another near miss?" And he said, "Well, of sorts." This one is, this is a mental health near miss. He said, I want to talk about the PTSD and the struggles that I've been having since that event and how I'm working through that and what I'm doing to try to help other first responders in that arena. So he came back this past November. The, the, the recent one, the PTSD, uh, what we called the next chapter interview was uh, episode 348. Now the, the first one, I got to go back cause it was, it was several years ago. So um, I'll, I'll get, I'll get that episode number as, as, as we chat here. And, okay. um, but there are so many amazing near miss stories that, you know, I, every once in a while I do a, uh, like a Facebook post of the top 10. So if somebody was connected mm-hmm. with me on Facebook and they scrolled back through my timeline, which, you know, who wants to do that, but, um I'll uh list like you know here's the top 10 most popular uh near miss interviews and kind of put a little summary about about what they're about um but <laughs> I mean there's there's collapse that's what Jason's was he was caught under collapse <clears throat> and there's flashover events there's uh shootings there's hit by car uh, fell off a ladder chimney fell on them. I mean, just <laughs> amazing stories. And and then with those stories are the, the lessons learned, you know, what, what what's my takeaway, what's the benefit of someone else <clears throat> for someone else from what has happened to me. And I think that's really the gold of it. And it has a strong situation awareness tie in because if you can learn those lessons and store those lessons in your memory mm-hmm. Um, then those lessons will come back to benefit you when you find yourself in a high-risk, high-consequence work environment. Uh, In other words, if I had to sum up, you don't have to experience these things for yourself (laughs) to have a lesson. You can experience them through others and store those experiences in your memory, which can then help you when you're in your greatest moment of risk and consequence, um, as I'm scrolling the feed here, here's three really good episodes that re- always rank high, too, is 198, 199, and 200 with Chesterfield County. So they had, they had hosted me for a program, and then about a year later, the uh, person who was the incident commander of this particular incident reached out to me and said, Man, we had an incident. Your situation awareness lessons were just flooding back into my memory on the scene of this incident. And he said, and it really, really helped me. And I said, well, would you want to do a podcast? That's so, great. but yeah, what they did is they—it really wasn't a near miss for them. They arrived on the scene of a of a uh, house on fire, and they got on the scene in like three minutes. And there were five people trapped, including two children, and uh, and there ended up being multiple fatalities on this incident. So you can just imagine the stress and anxiety that is going through the mind of the incident commanders are trying to have their people perform aggressive and heroic actions to try to save these victims, including children and all the while trying to keep the incident, um, you know, in some form of, of, uh, of uh, calm. It, it, yeah. That, that, that it's, a, it's three parts because they ended up being so long. I didn't, I don't you know, I don't want a three-hour episode. So I just broke it into three episodes and gave him the chance to uh uh to tell the whole story without you know I think being edited or abridged. So the first Jason Corthell interview was in uh twenty eighteen, episode two hundred and forty. And then if you can you can follow up with him with the most recent one this past November and get his the part two of his story. Again, you know, when you hear firsthand from these people, it's just it's it's just amazing, and it's it, to me it's so much more powerful than if I read a narrative like in a near miss report or read a narrative on a website to actually hear the voice and you know hear the crackle in the voice when they're oh, yeah. talk, talking about you know thinking about their family while they're you know in, in their moment of dying, and oh, it's just so powerful.
1: It, 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 this is a situation where it's almost it's almost uh, you know that at the kitchen table conversations right or or wherever you have your kind of conversations with your, your, your other firefighters you we can write about stuff all day long and sometimes it's just not going to resonate it's not going to really have that yeah. deep impact but when you when you hear a person's voice even if it's not the person who was involved right you you, you hear a, a person tell the story right if you have a, a story about a civil war event uh, on tv it's a narrator's voice that really hits that home, right? It hits you in the heart at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. It's very, very dramatic. Theater. So that's great. And it's, it's good to see that you're sharing lessons that are being learned um, for others to, to, to take on. And I think, yeah, it's usually something that you know, we're hearing quite often, right? It's, 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 there's a lot of lessons from fires in the past that need to be carried over generation to generation, not just in your own town, but something if you're if you're in the northeast, something that happened in the southeast or the west coast, um, construction may be different, tactics may be different, but there are those um, there are yeah. those stories, yeah. there are those lessons that you
2: need to be carried over. And the the motivation that drove the launch of the podcast um, was when I was out doing live programs. You know, part of part of the discussion during the program is having people in the room share their near miss stories. And in the live events, they were sharing these most incredible near miss stories. And I thought to myself, this story needs to be shared with an audience bigger than the 50 or hundred people that are sitting here today. And that's what really drove me to launch the, the show in the beginning. To, to start with is to give, you know, to do all the backroom work that set up the show and everything, but then just to essentially hand the microphone over to them and say, tell your story, you know, and then I, I interject with some questions and, and make, you know, make situation awareness connections, to the things that they're, they're sharing. But a lot of these people have great stories. They just don't have a platform to, to share them. And, uh, and some are willing to share them and some are, some are not, which kind of always makes me scratch my head that someone's willing to share a story in the, in a room of live participants with a hundred people, but, uh, something scares them away from, you know, putting it out in on the interweb. You know, I think they're afraid that people are going to criticize them or, or, or you know, uh, degrade them for what happened. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of the things that happen after the fact, they're not particularly proud of what occurred or the decisions that they made. And it takes a lot of courage to, you know, to raise your hand and say, you know, oh, oh, teacher, you know, call on me because I've got a story of craziness that this room won't even believe that I was able to do. And yeah, you know, and that takes, that takes courage and some, some won't, won't, won't come on the show. They'll, they'll share the story. I'll get them on break and say, Hey, would you like to do a a podcast? No, no, uh, no, no, I, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, so a lot of those, a lot of, yeah, a lot of those stories don't, don't get shared and, and, and many of them do. And if any of your uh, listeners have a story to share, you know, they can um, swing around and contact me and the interviews are always friendly. They're just conversations like you and I are having, you know, I'm not trying to pin them down or, or catch them in mistakes or say, aha, I see you should have done that. No, it's nothing like that. It's a friendly conversation. Cause I, I just want the story told in, in the words of the person who uh had it happen and there's no judgment i don't i don't judge them i don't say you know that was wrong or you shouldn't have done that none of that none of that and then and then on my feed if anybody throws hate around about them i always delete those i always delete those comments because my my feed is not for people to throw hate and judgment it's to to understand and learn and you can't when you're judging you can't learn you're too busy judging
1: (laughs) yeah yep very true very true. Well, that's great. So yeah, let's let's make sure the folks who are listening today, uh, if you have the opportunity, just uh, uh, jump over to your podcast uh, player and, and and find Rich's show and, and make sure you start to follow that. That's uh, it. Yeah. Sounds like an incredible collection. And, and again, you see you're here at about four hundred. Uh, just just a lot of information there that can be turned into training. Uh, you know, right after this podcast as soon as you finish August. So <laughs> so let's. Tell tell us a little bit about situational awareness again for the folks who may not necessarily understand it. I, you know, it's it's certainly been a, a buzzword, uh, and and hopefully people understand the true meaning of, of situational awareness and and what it really uh, entails. So can you can you kind of take us down um, uh, the road of what situational awareness is and how it impacts firefighters, yeah. and yeah. operations. Uh,
2: yeah, thank you for for uh, pointing out that it is kind of become a a, your term buzzword in the fire service and I I hear I hear through even in a pandemic environment I hear thrown around a lot by uh, elected officials and emergency managers giving advice to citizens and the term situation awareness is out there a lot but I I really worry that people don't really understand what that term means and even even first responders um you know if i'll ask somebody do you have good situation awareness they will say yeah so well, how do you know what do you do and they'll say like well i pay attention or i keep my head on a swivel you know how many how many posts i've seen keep your head on a swivel especially during civil unrest keep your head on a swivel well absolutely keeping your head on a swivel is important but that's not the whole that's not the whole and caboodle of of uh situational awareness. That's just one component part to it. Um and, and what I worry about is that people think that it's a term that is uh easy is an easy concept to apply. And it's it's not that easy. And you know I, obviously if I can write if I can go to school for five years to study it, write six books on it, do Four hundred blog articles on it it's not a simple concept and, and I try to make it simple by you know breaking it down into bite-sized pieces that are easy to comprehend and you know best practices that are easy to apply it's it's not simple you know it, it'd be kind of like saying that the that the process of of digesting food is is simple you eat it and something happens and you you know, what you don't need comes out the other end, end of story, <laughs> where the truth of the matter is there's tremendous amount. That's a bad example, but there's a tremendous amount of complexity. Well, you were focused on the absorption into the bloodstream, <laughs> I <understand. laughs> yeah, the body the <laughs> There's a tremendous amount of complexity from entry to exit. And the, the same thing about situation awareness, a tremendous amount of complexity about what is happening and, and how it can go wrong. But so let's maybe just give a definition to your to your listeners, that um, could be just a very, the very start of understanding about what it is. Situation awareness is an individual's ability to perceive and to understand what's happening in the environment around them, while being mindful about how time is passing, because as time passes, conditions change. And as conditions change, then so should our awareness. So that tells us that this is not a static process. This is a fluid process that's continually ongoing. And, and then, and the, the, fi- the final part of it is truly the gold of situational awareness and the part I think that is most often overlooked and the part that I think most often gets first responders into a bad situation. And that is being able to accurately predict what's going to happen in the future, and to make those predictions in time to avoid a bad outcome. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big, clunky definition about what situational awareness is. But if we had to boil it down, it really boils down to just three component parts. Perception, understanding, and prediction. So the perception is the keep your head on the swivel part of it, pay attention part of it. The perception part is where you, you're you gathering inputs, you're gathering intel, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, smelling, gathering information about what's happening around you. So the, the example I, I use in, in my teachings, because I like to use a lot of analogies to explain complex things, explain using analogies, makes them easy to understand. So think of it as your five senses are all gathering up pieces to a puzzle jigsaw puzzle pieces. Eyes gather some, ears gather some, nose, mouth, skin that feels, all gathers pieces to a jigsaw puzzle. That's the perception part of awareness. So you have to be conscious, alert, oriented, scanning your environment, head on a swivel, actively listening, gathering intel. You know, this is like when you're sizing up, you know, you're going around, you're, you're capturing all this information. And then the second part is to take that information and piece it all together, so that it means something to you. Now, if you think about it, five senses gathering five pu- sets of puzzle pieces in completely different ways. The you know the eyes see things different than the ears hear. So, those individual pu- the individual puzzle pieces, like what the ears hear and what the eyes see, mean something but when you put them together they can mean something different or something more comprehensively when you put together the pieces of seeing hearing feeling tasting smelling and this is what the understanding part of situational awareness says is we have to assemble those puzzle pieces from the from the sensory inputs to make a clear coherent picture of understanding now i think that's where it stops for most I won't say most responders. For some responders, I think that's where it stops. Gather intel, understand it, make decisions. And and that's where it can that's where it can run off the rails because of the third component part prediction. So I think many folks say think size it up, figure out what's going on, make a decision, take an action. And that seems to be A logical sequence of events in how responders are trained. Um, But if you follow that, we're missing that third component piece. Size it up, figure out what's going on, make a decision, take an action. That third component piece of prediction we insert between decision and action. So you, you know, you size it up, figure out what's going on, make your decision, pause, pause before you make that, take that great decision and turn it into action. Pause for just a moment. Use your mind's eye. Look into the future. How far into the future do you look? It depends on how fast the conditions are changing and are rapidly changing conditions. your look looking to the future might be 30 seconds. Or two minutes, or five minutes, or, or ten minutes, you know, and to see what lays on the horizon as a successful outcome to your decision, or a not successful outcome to your decision. So if you could, if you could make a decision, look into a crystal ball and say, "Oh, geez, that's not going to work." Well, then why would you implement what you could predict isn't going to work? But if you never stop and make that prediction, you won't even see you know, in your mind's eye, then it isn't going to work. You just make this, Hey, that's a great decision. Let's do it. You jump into action and you figure out quick into the action mode. This ain't working, which a lot of times leads to a near miss or a casualty before you can, you know, reverse action on, on whatever you're, you're doing so that prediction, you know, say for, I'll give you like a a structure file example, you know, you arrive on the scene And you you size it up and you figure out what you're going to do. You make your decisions. You get ready to take your action. And and the house is burning. And if you paused to look into the future, you know, say I'm going to look five minutes into the future, ten minutes in the future, whatever time frame. What bad things could happen five or ten minutes into the future if what I'm I'm about to do doesn't work? Well, you know, you don't have to be... um, uh, you know, a professor of fire science to know that somewhere into the future what could happen is a flashover if it hasn't happened already or a structural collapse if it hasn't happened already that a fire left unchecked that continues to burn oftentimes flashes over or oftentimes leads to a structural collapse as the components of construction weaken. So if before you take your action you can pause and visualize that a flashover is possible or visualize that a collapse is possible, then you can identify what is your window of opportunity. And your window of opportunity essentially says, uh, you know, think of the window as something that's, that's closing on you. And the speed at which the window closes is correlated to how fast the conditions are changing. So the faster the conditions are changing, the faster the window of opportunity for us is closing. So if you can look out on the horizon and say I could see this flashing over, or I could see this leading to a collapse, and then you know, it, it, you know, and you, as you look at the speed at which those conditions are changing, then you you get a sense of how fast the windows of opportunity are closing. Then you look at your okay. resources, your crew size, your your equipment, your water, wind conditions, um, occupancy, contents, the the. What the structure is built out of, all you know, all those factor into saying, can we, with my crew, go inside, do what we need to do, save, saveable lives, save, saveable property, and get out before the window of opportunity closes. And that prediction is made before we go inside. You know, it's part of the decision making Uh, action correlate is saying, make the decision, make a prediction, look into the future, see the bad things, determine how much time I have before that bad thing is going to happen. look at your crew and your resources and say, can we, you know, and if we is only two of us, uh, you know, because some fire departments arrive on the scene with two people or three people, Uh, some there's, you know, their second in peace won't, won't be there for eight or 10 minutes some can put a whole first alarm assignment on a scene in less than 6 minutes. So, you know, it it varies based on you know, department size and resource availability. But to be just to be realistic about it and and then use those predictions to drive the actions. And if the you know, if your predicted outcome is good, then implement your action. If you make a prediction and you say that I don't see this turning out very well, uh, in the time that I have, you know, based on how the windows are closing, then you you pick an alternative action or try to slow the close of the windows, you know, maybe with a transitional attack, cool it from the outside, kill, kill the flashover, the term. And and then maybe you can go in because you've you've slowed the speed at which the windows are closing. So I'll pause now because I talked a long time to your <laughs> to your very to your very first question.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. And that's that's fine. I mean, it, it it is a lot to take in, and like you said, I mean, it's 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 really it's that you know what is it the first five minutes, right? It, those two those two phrases are the first five minutes makes the fire, and the first line is the first line goes as the fire goes. So that snap quick quick decision is going to impact it, whether it's a, a seven-minute knockdown or three a da- three-hour knockdown, right? So you do have to take everything in. And it, is it safe to say that a lot of that collection of of information and data is already done unconsciously, especially the more, you know, the more farmers you go to, the more experience you gain is a lot of that done unconsciously and you have to almost bring it back to your consciousness, your conscious uh, decision-making at that point, is that, is that a safe assessment? Uh, so, and if it's not, we're going to edit this out. So it,
2: Yeah. So, um, par- partially, partially correct. Um, and that you do capture, uh, clues and cues and indicators or puzzle pieces. You do capture some of them, out of conscious awareness. So like when you're doing your size up, your eyes can be seeing things and processing information that you consciously are not paying attention to. In fact, you can only consciously pay attention to one thing at a time. We cannot multitask the act of paying attention, but subconsciously the subconscious can capture puzzle pieces and process that process them and assemble them and understand them and help to drive decisions um and what the subconscious captures and processes and uses to drive decisions and that's where i want to make just a clarification to one thing you said you said it you know brings it back up into consciousness uh sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't sometimes we make decisions using subconscious programming let me give you a great example of this if you if, if you've ever driven a car somewhere and say your or your pickup or whatever and it, maybe the trip lasts two hours and part of that trip you zone out like you just don't remember it like you know you pull into bucky's and say how did i get here <laughs> and, and uh, oh, back uh back <laughs> and uh so if you weren't paying attention to driving? How did you get there safely? Well, your brain is, even though you're consciously, you know, zoned out, <clears throat> singing along with the radio, carrying a conversation, somebody in the car, or just thinking about what you're going to do, you know, in the upcoming weekend, <clears throat> your subconscious brain can still capture information, process it and still drive decision making. Used on subconscious memory stores of previous experiences. So, those previously stored experiences are called scripts. So, you think about driving, you have thousands of stored driving experiences. Most of them we don't even remember, which is okay, but they're stored in there. And the subconscious brain can take what's happening in the moment, process that, access those subconscious scripts, and then guide us to physical actions based on stored. Memory, But the the what to do doesn't have to come literally into consciousness. We can be driven to perform tasks. Again, just think of driving the car when we're zoned out. We can perform tasks using this subconscious programming. And oftentimes what will vault us back into conscious awareness is a uh, what's called a novel event or a first time occurring event. Like you're driving along, you're zoned out, all of a sudden a deer darts out in front of your car and you, poof, you've got to kind of um, come back to a level of conscious awareness of now there's a, geez, just a moment ago, I was you know, singing along with the Beatles on the radio and now I've got a deer that's vaulted in front of my car. What do I do? Now you're in a truly state of conscious awareness and decision-making. And you have to take action based on this novel event. And I say novel because we probably don't have, you know, deers bolting in front of us on a daily or weekly basis. So then you have to process that information consciously and make a quick decision about what to do. And those quick decisions, when people are vaulted back into consciousness, sometimes... uh, contribute to uh tragedy and so sometimes it so sometimes it, they get it right and you know they look heroic but sometimes it it uh it it doesn't turn out so well in the moment of making high risk high consequence time compressed decisions while being vaulted back into consciousness from having your mind adrift <laughs> so uh hopefully that provides a little perspective on on your your statement well and, and i appreciate that and thank you thank you for, for, for kind of straightening that out sure
1: and, sure and with that you mentioned earlier right you, you know you're you're putting out content in various means so we're fortunate enough to have an article coming out in the february issue uh so i'd like to just you know talk about that briefly here as well as is the it's the first two column right so it's right at the front of the magazine and the whole premise for that column is to just give folks uh, Uh, Some insight from a a non-regular columnist. uh, Also, just something really to kind of set the pace for the entire uh, issue when when they pick it up and they go from cover to cover. So the first two columns in February is going to be called the Sinister Seven, and you talk about seven uh, aspects of um, um, situational awareness. And it kind of covers, right? So you you mentioned earlier the the three, um, three components. Situational awareness, perception, understanding, and prediction. So you start off with that, and then you go into seven other factors um, in, mm-hmm. in, in situational awareness. And you want to talk about a little bit about that article and and you know what you're hoping that firefighters uh, and our readers will take away from that?
2: Yeah. So the the sinister seven, the the s- actual seven things that are after we get past the definition of stuff. The seven things that I'm talking about. Are barriers to situational awareness. So, a barrier is anything that blocks or prevents or inhibits the ability to have perception, understanding, and prediction. And I don't want our, I don't want your your listeners or your readers to think that, oh, Jesus, only seven? I can learn about seven. <laughs> no, there's more than a hundred. We're just talking about um, seven that can have very consequential impact on first responders. And I chose those seven based on interviews that I've done of thou- literally thousands now from the time I first started my research of first responders who've had near miss and ca- and casualty events. <clears throat> and so I handpicked. In, fa- in fact, I have what is called the dirty dozen and and you said, no, Rich, the article can't be that long. <laughs> so we, yeah. we we cut it, we, we, cut it to sinister, we, <laughs> yeah, we cut it to the sinister Yeah, we cut it to the sinister seventh to try to keep it on onto uh onto one page. Uh but there they're essentially seven situation awareness barriers that I think are really important that first responders know about, uh, because the 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 first step of improved awareness is enlightenment about how your awareness goes wrong sooner than it being after the fact and when you have a near miss or casualty event you look back on it say man my situational awareness was terrible i mean i thought it was good right up to the point where that thing bonked me in the head or i stepped out in front of that moving car um to to try to kind of build um I, i hate to say this but i say this all the time build awareness about awareness <laughs> into the minds yeah. of responders so that they they are consciously thinking about how their situational awareness can be impacted. Um, and, and if you consciously think about that enough, then that really actually becomes part of subconscious programming that you will be thinking about it subconsciously about how you can be impacted. So basically for that um article we we I handpicked seven situational awareness barriers that I that I that I talked to. And one of them actually, Pete, we just we just got done talking about it, and now it's mind drift. And mind drift is when your conscious mind wanders out of awareness. Um uh, so like when you're driving the car consciously thinking about where you're going or what you are going to be doing and and you know paying attention to the act of driving and all of a sudden you're not paying attention anymore and an hour has passed and you're you know, 70 miles up the highway, and you wonder how did that happen, that's mind drift. And uh, unfortunately, uh, there are people who think, well, if I'm doing a high-risk activity, I would never let my mind drift. Well, driving a car at highway speed is a high-risk activity. So let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we can't drift out of awareness. And especially, you know, one of the things that causes, and I really didn't get, um, too into detail you know each each of these seven seven uh, barriers only has but maybe two or three sentences that i've written about it and and tr- truth truths be told in in the books that i've written each of those would have a chapter or two that would be written about them so this is really just kind of a condensed summarization uh but you can uh you can drift out of awareness and not even know that you're not paying attention anymore And one of the things that can cause responders to drift out of awareness is confusion. So imagine you arrive on the scene, your eyes see something, and your ears hear something else. That, you know, the, the information coming in from two senses are not in agreement, which means the puzzle pieces aren't fitting together. Well, when they fit together, it's wonderful. We have understanding, comprehension, moments of clarity. But when they don't fit together, that's that that phenomenon of those puzzle pieces not fitting together is called sensory conflict. And that's another one of the, of the barriers that I, that I wrote about in that article because sensory conflict means that the inputs aren't fitting, the puzzle pieces aren't fitting, which causes confusion. And the one thing that I know for sure in any person in neurology or psychology will tell you that your brain doesn't like being confused when you're in a high risk environment because what your brain knows is if you're in a high risk environment and confused, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to make bad decisions. You're vulnerable to get hurt and you're vulnerable to get killed. So the brain wants to resolve that confusion quickly. And that confusion can contribute to mind drift because you can drift out of awareness as to what's happening around you as you're trying to resolve the confusion inside of your mind and, and try to, you know, trying to figure out how to get the puzzle pieces to, to fit, and we're vulnerable to that because as as you know, Pete, you know, as a first responder yourself, a lot of times we show up on the scenes of of incidents and things don't make sense, you know it's 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 confusing, even though we're looking right at it, we can't quite figure out what's happening or how is this happening, or why is this happening, and that that leads to the sensory conflict and in, in Mind Drift uh, is, is an example of two of the seven um of the Sinister Seven that we talked about in that in that article. And I, I will say I and I think it's probably going to be in the article, but if you know people want to learn more about it, they can swing by the website and put any of those uh barrier terms into the search box like sensory conflict or mind drift and and it'll take them to um articles Probably plural, probably multiple articles that I've written about that topic or, you know, talking about a near miss event and in, in reference back to that particular barrier. But the, you know, the sinister seven are seven commonly occurring situational awareness barriers that can impact uh, uh, someone's uh, uh, situational awareness, their perception, their understanding, or their ability to predict, accurately predict future events in time to prevent bad outcomes. Yeah, which then, you know, it all connects right back to the definition of what awareness is as to how it goes wrong in, in the moment. And and you know, the whole the whole motivation here is to help responders learn how to develop and maintain strong awareness, how to understand when it's eroding, and then best practices about what to do if they find themselves in uh, an environment where they realize their awareness isn't, isn't where it needs to be. You know, so we spend a lot of time in programs talking about um, tips and tricks and hacks and, and, you know, best practices to, to help them. And again, that article really doesn't get deep into the, tips and best practices because you know just of the space limitations i'm not trying to withhold it from anyone you know they don't have to hire me to learn it they can just go to the website and read to their hearts content you know i often tell people you know you don't have to host the program just go to the website and read the 400 articles and you'll learn everything that i would teach you in a live program what a what a terrible marketing <laughs> message that is but it's <laughs> it's it, it's it's the truth if somebody's willing to invest the time, everything they need to know is, is already there for them. I mean, they could have me presented as a, you know, as, as a package in a way that, you know, connects all the dots and makes sense and, you know, can have fun learning it and laugh a little bit and do some exercises to demonstrate things. And that, you know, that, that makes for an enjoyable day of learning. But if they, you know, if they want to nerd out and just learn about it uh, on their own, they, they can go and, and just immerse themselves in the, treasure trove of free free content that i have on the website and you know they don't even have to buy a book from me it's it's all there (laughs) you know it's and that was my part of my whole plan in the beginning with all of this pete was i i set an ambition to give away everything that i learned to give it away for free i believe in it that much as being something that is important to responders and while i have books and videos and virtual programs and live programs pre-pandemic while i have all of those no one has to buy anything from me you see in the end i don't want their money i don't want their money i want something more valuable than their money i want their time because if they'll give me their time i'll teach them everything for free and you know, like I say, there. You know, it's it's a terrible business model. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what business would stay in business giving away everything. But um, you know, it, somebody explained it to me this way, Pete. They said when I, when I was when I developed this business model and and people were criticizing me for you know giving it all away, somebody said to me they they said, "Rich, don't worry about it." <clears throat> they said, "Who's your favorite musician?" I said, "Oh, Billy Joel. No, no doubt. You know, I grew up on Billy Joel." They said do you watch his videos and i'm like yeah i watch them all the time i you know if if i'm having a bad day i just go to youtube and watch a billy joel video you know uptown girl or piano man or something and and they said so you you know his music pretty well i said yeah forward and backwards i'd probably know the words to damn near every song and i said and you know the videos and i'm like yeah and they said well why would you ever go see him and why would you ever pay money to go see him in concert If you can consume all of If you can consume all of that for free And I said Because there's nothing like the concert experience And that person said That's why people will come to your program There's nothing like the concert experience There's nothing like The real Live Presentation And I went that's can, can Jesus. You sing When you speak on the road? No, 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 no. No, no. Right. I, ab- I absolutely, absolutely do not sing. I will I will okay. drive All right. I will drive people and rats out of the room if I sing. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: that, that's great because I was gonna say the same thing. I mean, like we talked about before is you, you can read a hundred near misses or a hundred close calls. But to listen to that podcast, like you said, you know, it's it's you hear the point, you, you hear the voice of the person. That's what's going to resonate, right? Just like anything important that you write, you have to read it aloud to make sure that it sounds right. And and I, I you know, the editors here can attest to that. Every time I write something, um, I have to read it out loud, to make sure it sounds because in my mind, what I'm seeing works, right? I, I put it down. It flows perfectly. And then I'll come back and say, well, what about this? Okay. Well, to me it worked. So much like that, you have to hear things aloud in order to really comprehend
2: it. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: No, I, I agree with you on that. And I'm, I'm the same way. And so, you know, in addition to the blogs and videos, you know, I, I have written the books and I've made some videos and I've, you know because of the pandemic, I converted uh, just about every class that I do to be virtual, either pre-recorded or somebody can have me come in and do it live. so there's always i mean, if somebody okay. wants to hire me there's always a way to do that or or to you know have the paying content. but the the truth be told if they just want to immerse themselves in in the free content. It, it will it will be helpful for them. I assure them they will learn things. I get this kind of feedback all the time in either emails or people that come up to me at a live event that says, "I listen to your podcast and you've changed my entire perspective about how I look at not only the the work they do in the fire service, but also what they how they how they drive, when they're when they're pr- pr- participating in sports, when they're hunting in relationships and you know being able to anticipate <laughs> bad things on the horizon, you know, I, I guess the the lessons really are broad sweeping. I mean I have a narrow focus of helping, you know, first responders and and folks in business and industry and and military mm-hmm. to improve situational awareness. But it, it does have a you know broader perspective. I had one person tell me that, you know, he was riding his motorcycle and and something that I had taught him in class prevented what he called, uh, death, you know, he, I called it a tragedy, but he said, it just kept me, you you know, (laughs) it kept me from getting killed right, right there. He said, and he says, the funny thing is, he says, I wasn't even thinking about your class or your lessons. He says, but there I was faced with a situation and I knew right what to do. And, uh, you know, what he had done, is, uh, you know, one of the things I teach is a as a tip or best practice is something called mental rehearsals. So mental rehearsals is where you uh, envision yourself in a uh, situation where things are going bad, but it's not, you know, you're not really there. You're just like mentally rehearsing. You're pretending that you're there and that something is bad is, is happening. And you then Rehearse your decision making you 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 know if this were happening, what would I be seeing? What would I be hearing? What would it be meaning? how would i what would I understand is happening? what decisions would i decisions options would I have? What might happen five minutes from now or ten minutes from now from this situation that I'm envisioning um, what actions could I take? what bad things could happen? If I take these actions and well basically what you're doing is building in advance of having a near miss or tragedy, building a repertoire of of experiences, even though they're they're made up, of what if scenarios and storing those experiences so that if it ever happened <clears throat> you would um have a collection of Action steps that you could take before you really find yourself in that scenario. And I'll give you a great example of this, Pete. Carol and I uh, went up to International Falls. It's been about a year ago. uh, And we were driving back and we were going down this two lane road. And there was snow piled up on both sides of the road as they're off into January in Minnesota. And somebody uh, from my right pulled out of a driveway. The the snow was piled up. They couldn't see me coming, and I was doing probably 45 miles an hour. And they literally pulled out in front of me, and they were only maybe 80 feet in front of my car. And I'm going 45, so you can get an idea as to how fast the window of opportunity closed here for me. And I had to make a decision of what am I going to do? Well, essentially, if you look at this, you have three decision choices. The car is, imagine the car is coming out of the driveway from the passenger side of my vehicle. They're going to cross my lane and then turn in the direction I'm coming. So they're going to turn left and, you know, we're going to end up being, you know, going in the opposite directions on the the highway. If I'm, um, you know, drawing this out right in your mind. So they pull out in front of me and I've got essentially three decision options. I can swerve left. I can slam on the brakes and just hold onto the wheel and go straight and hope I stop in time or I can swerve. Right. That's essentially the three choices. Well, I had already mentally rehearsed what I would do in this scenario. And thankfully I did. Cause I had zero time to process. What just, it literally was a reaction and what i did was swerve right now as i swerved right there's there's a snowbank there so i had to figure out how to swerve right miss the car and not run up the snowbank which surely would have caused my car to flip so it ended up we missed them i swerved right i went around the back of their vehicle or they you know they kept going forward so i ended up missing the back of their bumper by probably an inch or two and then swerved back to the left and back onto the roadway surface. My car kind of went up on two wheels, but, uh, didn't flip. And eventually we stopped and, you know, had to, um, you know, gather up things that had flown all over the car. Um, and, and my wife said, how did you, how did you know to, Swerve right versus left. She said. She said if it was her driving, she she said I would have just slammed on the brakes, held onto the wheel, and probably plowed, you know, t boned them, which we would have killed them at forty forty five miles an hour. You know, and it was just a teenager driving. We'd have just we we'd have broadsided the driver's door and probably killed him And I said, actually, I had mentally rehearsed this in advance and I thought if a car ever pulled out in front of me which way should I um which way should I swerve and my logic was swerve in the opposite direction of their travel because if they don't see me they're going to keep going s- straight and if I pull in front of their car you know I'm surely going to hit them because they're going to keep pulling straight which is exactly what happened this car they did not even they didn't even look my way they were looking down the highway the other direction I don't know if they thought they'd already looked my way and it was all clear or they didn't see my car because of the snow bank. But when they pulled out, their head was turned looking the other way down the highway and they just kept coming. They didn't even. And, and if I would have swerved left, um, I would hit the front end of their car because they were, they kept moving. If I would have just hung onto the wheel, I would have broadsided him. And what I had mentally rehearsed was, you know, go swerve in the opposite direction of their travel and hopes as their car pulls, continues to pull forward, that'll give me enough space to get around. Now, I never in my life when I had mentally rehearsed this thought that it would ever actually happen to me, you know. <laughs> we always think it's other sorry saps that people pull out in front of. And 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 there I was with zero, zero uh, time to think about it, you know. And this ties to the story of Solomberger landing that Airbus on the Hudson you know, the miracle on the Hudson, as you had called it. Um, uh, he had mentally rehearsed the what would I do if scenarios in his mind multiple, multiple times. What would I do if I had to land on something other than a runway? What would I do if I have to land on the water? What would I do if I lost power to my engines? And he had he had mentally rehearsed these these events so that when it happened for real, he had already in his mind some stored experiences of, what he should do and how he should do it—it it wasn't a novel experience for him because he had mentally rehearsed these um, these potential tragedies. So again, that's one example of a of a situation awareness tip or hack or best practice that would be shared in a program. Well, you know
1: that's great. I mean, again, if you think about that if, if. Regards to the firefighters, can, right? When you're driving around, you create those drills with your crew. You pull up on a building, you don't have to get out of the rig. I mean, you know, but like, you know, you look at the windshield, you look out the side window from the jump seat. And you start talking about that, and um, again, I think that's something that's critical. A lot of places seem to be missing that, right? Because they're going from one run to the next, and they're they're out running a, a COVID or whatever it is they're doing, but but. Building that base, that database in your head, I'm sorry, to kind of have that, you run through the drills before you're going to have the answer. you can't run through everything right? Like you so said, you show up a lot of time you're trying to put the piece of the puzzle together and sometimes you're getting pieces that don't even belong to that puzzle, right? It's, it's, it's and that's not really of any relevance to what's going on. So, yeah, that's critical and. and on the trip back memory lane. Since we're talking about snowbanks and all that, I do have to give you a shout out for those folks uh, um, that don't know. When I when I used to live in, in Minnesota, Rich was actually one of the first folks I met. And uh, uh, I was out there with my dog one day, um, driving through a parking lot, and, and actually the snow was a lot deeper than I thought. Right, just like the big piles. Uh, Rich, when you uh, were so gracious to answer the phone and. Uh, bring some toe straps and, and let me get under my own car and hook myself up so you can pull me out. So, um, yeah, you know, I didn't know who else to call, but my database told me right off the bat, hey, Rich is a pretty smart guy. He can come help me out, so thank you for bringing me <laughs> out. So, it was a very, very cold day yes, outside, with out few shirts and shorts uh, for an extended period of time when you're pulling them the the view. I'm here for you. But, but knew you have the answer. so. um uh, so, so thank you there. I appreciate that. It's been a long time since I've given that uh, public thanks. So,
2: um,
1: <laughs> so so when we wrap up today. You, you mentioned earlier that you know it's something that I've always really just enjoyed you know, hearing some of your stories uh, about your your opportunities to get fire service, with military. The fire service is a paramilitary organization. What are, you know, two or three things that you can share from your teachings with the military uh, or teachings, but also what you're learning from them, right? The Foreign Service really likes to to kind of take on that military um, mindset. So what are two or three things that our listeners can take away that you've learned from the military side that can be carried over to the Foreign Service side that they may not be aware of?
2: Uh well I, I don't know that they wouldn't necessarily be aware of it, but um the importance of uh realistic and repetitive training scenarios that challenge decision making. And some some branches of the military are better than that than others are. Um some uh uh some when they're when they're training new recruits um <clears throat> simulate simulate things that in a way are not <clears throat> uh not realistic and then soldiers find themselves doing things on real battlefields that are not realistic and then people line up to Uh, uh, criticize them for the things that they were doing and it directly ties back to their training. And I'll give you one example. I had a a soldier and I don't, I can't remember the branch of the military and if I could, I wouldn't even say it um, because I don't want to single any branch out. But he said that when they were going through their basic training and they had uh, these uh, simulated weapons You know, I don't know if that meant, you know, like a, uh, you know, a rubber pistol or a rubber rifle or wood or whatever, but they weren't real weapons. Or maybe they were, maybe they're just weapons that weren't loaded. I don't know. Um, When they had to shoot the enemy, you know, there obviously wasn't any bullets in the gun. So they would... (laughs) And and his words are not, these are his words, not mine. So don't, you know, for the listeners out there, you know, don't throw hate at me. This is the the real life story of a real life soldier. He said that to simulate shooting, they were taught to say butter, butter, jam, butter, butter, jam, butter, butter, jam, butter, butter, jam. And that that was their way of telling the instructor that they were shooting. You know they would they would make the sound butter butter jam uh-huh. butter butter jam, and he said he then had a deployment and he was in a real firefight, and he um found himself saying butter butter jam instead of actually shooting his his finger was you know how you in the safety position you put your finger up you know like mm-hmm. off the trigger he said my finger was off the trigger and i was finding myself saying butter butter jam butter butter jam and he said i i he said i couldn't make sense as to why i would be so dumb in a moment of such risk and consequence a real a real firefight he says but he says it, you know and this was it on, on the break of a live program he says, But as you have just explained it to me he said i had stored experiences of what to do in this situation that under stress, I went back into memory and I pulled those experiences out and did exactly what I was trained to do exactly the way that I was trained to do it. And he said, and it was absolutely the worst thing I could do, but it was not, nothing more than a representation of my training so that lesson, if I could bring that lesson around for the fire service, is to is to ensure that the folks in the fire service, when you're training, train in a way that's as realistic as you can do it safely, and and do it in repetition cycles. And, and one way to one way to to kind of test this, and 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 I, and I see this all the time. You know, I'm sure there are people out there that think I'm such a butthole. I'll I'll be out on the scene of a of a live training scenario like a house burn or something or a department that's doing training in their apparatus bay or whatever and I'll get the person one of the people who are participating and I and I'll say to them if you were doing this at a real incident would you do it this way and they're like oh no no man if it was a real incident we'd be doing it this way instead of the way we're doing it if it was a real incident and i think to myself no you won't you're going to do it exactly the way you've trained to do it. Because under stress, you know, well, we are creatures of habit on, any, on the best of days, but you add stress to it. And the things that we learn habitually uh, are going to come back under stress and be our automatic performance, like butter, butter, jam. And if, when you're training, if you can step back, step out of the scenario for just a moment, And look at it like, you know, big picture, like, you know, you're looking down from the heavens at what you're doing there. And if you can say, well, we really wouldn't do it this way in a real scenario, well, then stop doing it that way in practice. Because what you're doing is building scripts of how to do it. And and don't think, don't think for a minute that you could tell your responders, now we're gonna do it this way, but in a real scenario, you know, you you know you'd do it differently, right? Because we've all got common sense. No. In high-stress, high-consequence environments, common sense goes right out the window. And what what takes over as common sense goes out the window is intuitive decision-making based on habits and repetitions of previous experiences and previous training. So you cannot, in the stress of a moment, logically think, I did it this way in training, but now I'm at the real scenario and I shouldn't do it the way I was trained. I should do it some different way, which we haven't done. So I really don't have any stored experiences of the right way to do it. I've just got a crap load of experiences stored of the wrong way to do it. But I was told, you know, to flip the switch and do it a different way when it really happens, you know, in the real, in the real world scenario. And it's, it's just not realistic to think that someone could have that level of cognitive control in that degree of stress to say, I'm now going to do it differently than the way I was trained uh, because the way I was trained doesn't fit. It, it's not, it's not going to work out very well. I mean, someone can get lucky and it can work out fine. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to deny someone the the opportunity to have luck in their life. Um, But, you know, our there, old saying says, uh, um, "Practice makes perfect." And you know, I, I, perhaps at one point in my life, subscribed to that. But after the neuro stuff that I studied, I I'd, I'd switch that statement and say, "Practice makes permanent." <laughs> and whatever we practice becomes a permanent memory store as to how to do something. That our brain is going to reach back into those memory stores. I mean, face it, you're in a high risk environment how do you know what to do if not to go back into memory and draw experiences out of well you know what what does my training tell me that i should do and it, and if your training's yeah. so, solid then you you pull a solid script and you're able to perform it and if your training was you know janked or shortcutted or or you know the the instructor was mm, you know, not, um, thinking how to build realism into it, or they were just pressed for time. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll give you give an example. All right. So. 40 hour um, class that's done in 26 hours. (laughs) Well, yeah, I, I'm thinking something, something much simpler of 360 size up. So, um, I'll, I'll be in a class. I'll say, you know, does your department do three sixty size ups? Yeah, every time. Yeah. Why? Because it's policy. Oh, okay. When you go out to your training, when you go out to your training grounds where you got your, uh, you know, burn containers and stuff, do you do a three sixty size up around your burn containers before you make entry into the burn containers? No. Well, Why not? You told me you do three sixties before entry on every structural fire and you're burning in a burn container, that's a structural fire. If you shortcut something that basic in training, remember, you're building scripts of knowledge of what, do I'm spo- what am I supposed to do when I get there? First thing, size up. Size up includes a 360. So you build the muscle memory of walking around, whether it's a burn building or sea or cans or your fire station. You build the muscle memory of the 360 into the script. And it's amazing how many don't do that. And why? Here's what they'll say to me, Pete. We don't have the time to waste doing that. You don't have the time. So what you're telling me, it's a waste of time to do a 360. Well, it is on this building because it's our burn building. We know it like the back of our hands. You're missing the whole point. I'm not asking you to size up a building you know on the back of your hand. I'm asking you to learn how to physically build in, build a habit about walking around and performing the mental cognitive components of a size up each evolution, not once at the beginning, every evolution. So, it's a, you know, waste of time. How much time are you, air quotes, wasting to walk around your burn building or your C cans? We, we talk in here like a minute maybe two minutes you're so compressed for training time that you can't take two minutes to teach the process of size up before conducting an action if you if you believe that what you're saying is situational awareness isn't isn't important i can arrive on the scene based on what dispatch told me what i see from the from the street i've got it all figured out and i can just make my entry and i really don't have to size up the problem well, if you do that, then what you're doing is you're throwing around a solution and you don't even really know what the problem is yet because you haven't properly sized it up. And I realize, you know, because people say, Well, you know, there's some buildings you can't get all the way around. I understand that. This is not an always and never type scenario, but a best practice would be is if you could get around it, even if you have to drive around it on your on your on your initial entry, you know, your initial arrival then then yeah. look you know look at it from all sides and then build that build the habit of doing that into into training you know the, and if you if you shortcut it, it's it, it i don't know i do not find it ironic at all that one of the leading contributing factors in near misses and casualties is non-existent or incomplete 360 size up i find no irony in that whatsoever because that's exactly what many departments are doing in training incomplete and non-existent 360 size ups so when it happens in the real world and it leads to a near miss or a tragedy i i i fully expect to see that in the after action report and in fact i'm surprised when it's not there and there are there are occasions when it's not but most of the time it's it's right there front and center because you know they didn't practice it. Now that that's probably a really solid connection to the military, and the military does a lot of things that are truly high fidelity. You know, the military has the benefit of a lot of money flowing toward creating realistic training simulators to aid in battleground decisions that we we in the fire service we just don't have the advantage of. Same same in aviation you know as when i was doing my research one of the things i got to do was go to the uh the training center for delta airlines in atlanta and and fly one of their their uh i think it was a 757 flight simulator oh my god was that thing realistic it was so realistic pete that i made myself motion sick when they let me drive it or fly it And and in fact, we were, we were, we were coming in on a landing and I was messing it up so bad. I literally told the the instructor who was sitting in the co-pilot seat, take over, take over. And he, and he took over and you know, we're in a simulator. He took over and he said, and I, I was in a full sweat. I mean, I, I'm in a simulator. I'm sweating. It's like, you know, my, my, my pits are, you know, you could, you could ring them out. And he said, you okay. And I said, yeah, I don't want to crash. I mean, I was so, so immersed in it the the sounds the feel the ev- the alarms going off because we had an engine on fire everything about it was just so vividly realistic and then the military has the benefit of that aviation has the men- benefit of that medicine in some respects is developing that well but you know the money just doesn't flow nearly as well in the fire service we do have some simulation programs and they some are helpful some maybe not helpful in fact harmful because they're not you know realistic enough um you know if you're if you're if you're if your engine crew are stick figures <laughs> then it's probably not you know probably not re- probably not realistic training unless you're you know fighting with a, unless your your crew's you know a, a group of anorexics that are stick figures you know it's just it's just it's just not it's not realistic and 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 for people who think that's developing helping them develop good skill sets um that's questionable um but you know the, the military is especially some branches are very good at creating realistic scenarios to develop um Both cognitive and physical skill sets. and But for the fire service, I'd say just realistic and repetitive training. Step back from it and look at it and say, would we do this? Would we really do this if this was really happening? And if you can say no, then stop doing that because you're doing a disservice to your firefighters by teaching them skills that they're not, not only are they not going to do, but could harm them if they do it.
1: Well, Rich, I, I appreciate you sharing. That. That's that's actually some re- really interesting insight. And, and again, too, from the from the aviation side as well. Um, you know, there's there's certainly components in the fire service that you could do right uh, in simulation, but a lot of it does have to be out on the streets or at the training grounds. Um, so, so thank you for sharing that insight. And. As we wrap up today, I just want to let folks know um, that that Rich will also be speaking at Firehouse Expo in September in Columbus. Uh, He'll be doing a pre-conference session called uh, Flood Situational Awareness, the Stealth Killer of First Responders. That's a four-hour program. And then during the main conference program, uh, Rich will be presenting Firefighter Safety Mistakes and Best Practices. And it sounds like some of what we covered today will also be covered in those classes. Is that correct?
2: Uh, uh, Absolutely, Pete. This was... This, this podcast was a good precursor to things that will be um, discussed in much greater detail in both of those programs.
1: Okay. Well, Rich, again, thanks for joining us. And, and again, just a, a quick plug for your site. Is, it, it's samatters.com, correct?
2: Yep. S, SA, like in Situation Awareness. Uh, i have some people sometimes spell That's it okay. E-S- E-S-S-A-Y. essays matter. <laughs> it's the letter s letter a matters dot com and uh there they can you know get access to all the the uh the things that we talked about great george thank you for joining us and we look forward to
1: seeing you back on the road um and actually you know let's talk about that just for a second here um you mentioned earlier, and we should, we should mention that you do have the online training platform as well. So, if folks are you know with, with COVID, folks aren't able to travel, have folks um, uh, come see you. Um, tell us about your, your online classes, real quick, and, and, and what they can find on there so they might be able to do that training to their, their Yep,
2: yeah. So, there are, there are essentially three ways to consume the online content. One, I have a online Academy, a situational awareness, online Academy. I've had that for oh, probably six years. So it's not new because of COVID. And the online Academy is the deep dive into all things situational awareness. And it, uh, it could take someone probably 20 hours to complete it. And it's set up in 14 modules and they can have access to it for a whole year. And they can, they can get the whole thing done in 30 days if they want, or it can be spaced out over the course of the year. And uh, it has it has tests, so they have to pass tests to get certified. So this is a certification program. So the testing is a way of proving they actually did learn it. They just didn't click the play button and go cook lunch because they're going to have to come back and answer test questions. And they have to... They have to pass every test to get the certification. So there's a lot of rigor to that one. That would in some would be inspired by that, some would be very turned off by that. But that's the academy. Then the individual modules of the academy, someone can just get a particular module without the, you know, without the full certification. So they can consume any of those 14 modules. And then there's a few other pre-recorded virtual programs on the website. And then uh what's probably the most popular is uh, departments have me come in and do programs for their folks live. And like if they have three shifts, I'll do a program for each of the shifts, you know, while they're on duty. And then we'll record it. We'll record that and make that recording available to any of their members who, uh, you know, might have had to go on a call or was on vacation for that day or whatever uh, so that they can consume the the content after the fact, but the the live one's good because it allows for you know like you and I are doing dialogue Q and A conversations, um, and and it's 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 not as air quotes boring as just watching a you know a pre recorded although the pre recorded are there and people can you know consume them to their wishes but the probably the more popular is the is the is the live. Um, you know is the live programs and we try to keep those uh, under two hours and and it's really up to the host as to whether they want you know a one hour hour and a half or two hour program um, I just did a live one for um, uh, a fire chiefs association in Canada we had four hundred uh, 412 people on that live event wow. and yeah so you know it's it's gaining some popularity in places that, were, that want their folks to still have some access to the national level speakers, but, you know, obviously can't bring them in, you know, because of the pandemic, you know, this, um, you know, I, I've got places in Canada would love to have me come in live, but I can't get across the border right now because of COVID you know, yeah. unless I, unless I, unless I sneak over. Um, and uh, Experience so. A bad idea though, right? Yeah, yeah, it's my situation awareness is don't try, don't, don't try that. And and there are a lot of places that have just you know, I had um when the pandemic hit last March, March twelfth I was in Maryland. That was my last program for Maryland Fire Rescue Institute, and then I uh flew home from there because every the next place I was supposed to be on to canceled and I haven't been on a plane since March twelfth. Forty-six programs that were scheduled for 2020 all postponed and none of them although they've made efforts none of them have been rescheduled everything for the fall that was postponed then postponed again everything for the first quarter of 21 that was supposed to be uh live either postponed or transitioned to virtual um so i i I, i'm i'm optimistic that that live Things will return by Q2 or Q3 of 2021, but I guess that has a lot to do with you know the vaccinations and the effectiveness and the in the you know, reduction in in uh, uh, of cases and, okay. and and deaths. You know, and I mean I'm I'm not particularly excited about getting on an airplane and going somewhere to it's a hot spot for 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 COVID cases. So I completely understand. Departments not wanting to host a live event and, you know, as much as they're not warmed up to the idea, neither am I, but doing a one or two hour virtual is, is you know, it's the, the next best thing. It's obviously not as good as being there live, but it's the next best thing that they can still get their folks some exposure to the important content without the exposure to you know COVID.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's, and unfortunately, yeah, it's the way it is. And hopefully the second half of the year seems to be able to give those folks opportunity to do that. But I, I highly encourage you if you haven't had the opportunity to see Rich present or to really sit down and listen to me on this podcast. This podcast is a snippet, but there's also a lot of other stuff being discussed here, but I certainly encourage you to go to Rich's site and uh, participate in some of the programs. It would be a great asset to you and your department to bring those in. So thank you Peter. so Rich, thank you again great to have you on uh uh really with seeing you in, in person and um uh you know hopefully we'll see each other here uh, in just a couple of months in columbus and um again a big thank you also to the folks at uh, msa and globe for their continued support and sponsorship of this podcast
2: well thanks thanks to Rich. you for what for what you do and thanks to firehouse for for what they do for the fire service um, the the website's fantastic the magazine's fantastic <laughs> the podcast is right. is a great is a, is a great addition the the conference is 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 one of my favorites so it's all around a, a great um, uh, a great honor to be connected to the to the firehouse family.
1: Thank you, Rich. Thank you for your continued support as well. It's, it's been uh, almost 15 years. So, yeah. um it would be 2006. So, yeah, so we're at 15 years this year. So, thank you for everything you've
2: done nice. for our leaders
1: and attendees Thanks. and viewers. So,
2: yeah, All right. nice.
0: Okay, well, everyone, thank you. Stay safe. And uh, we'll be back up another podcast soon. This podcast is sponsored by MSA Globe. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop advanced safety equipment with performance and protection in perfect balance. Like Globe Athletics, the latest innovation in turnout gear. Developed as Athletic Gear for Firefighters, Athletics uses unique stretch fabrics that provide body-contoured fit for unprecedented range of motion and flexibility. It's lighter weight, less bulky, and provides the protection you need from your Globe turnout gear. Get the full story at msa.com globe.